Hi, this is Pastor Rob Stone from Duns Creek Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for listening to our weekly audio sermons podcast. Duns Creek Baptist Church is a community alive by grace and known by love. We long to be a force for good here in Putnam County, Florida. You can learn more about us on the web by visiting dunscreekbaptist.org or visit us any Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. for worship. Now, please enjoy the message. Well, we are in our fourth week of the year. We are in our fourth week of 2020. We're in our fourth week of this sermon series called We Believe. And the whole idea behind this sermon series where we've been kicking off the year is rooted in this idea that we believe God has given us an anointing word over the year. We believe that God has given us this word for the year to help kind of lead us and guide us because we believe this is God's heart for this community in 2020, and that word is simplify. And as we've been talking about throughout this sermon series, when we simplify, what we do is we make the truths of God just as accessible as God made them. Because one of the things that we've done over 2,000 years of Christian history is we've gotten really great at complicating what Christ came to make simple. And so as we have spent our time together in this sermon series and as we've spent our time together so far this year, we have really kind of gathered around this theme and this goal that we have for 2020. And it's like this. In 2020, our heart, is to focus more on the simple gospel that unites rather than complexity that divides. We want to be a church that that focuses so much on the simple gospel that we are united, not just with other believers and other churches, we are united with the community because we believe that Christ has come, not just to save me and you, but to change the temperature, to change the atmosphere of the whole community. And we believe that that happens when we simplify, that we believe that happens when we are abundantly clear and simple. And so we're going to work really hard to avoid complexity. And so we have kind of gathered around this sermon series based around one of the earliest creeds of the Christian church. Now the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed has been around nearly as long as there has been a church. And the Apostles' Creed is between 40 and 44 words long, depending upon which translation of the Apostles' Creed that you're reading. And so we have kind of gathered this whole sermon series around the Apostles' Creed, and we've updated the language a little bit so it's not as confusing for those of you who are not used to reading third century writing. And so all we've done is update some of the language. And so we're going to read that creed together, if you'll stand with me. We believe in God, the Father, author and creator of all. We believe in God, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the promised Messiah. He was crucified, died, and was buried, canceling the debt of our sin. On the third day, he rose again to bring us new life. He ascended to heaven. He will come Again, we believe in God, the Spirit, our ever-present helper and advocate, breathing resurrection life into the redeemed, empowering and equipping us for the work on earth. 
Jordan, I might need your help back there. Thank you. We believe in the church, the connected body of global believers, the hands and feet of Christ. We believe in Christ's love as the model for every thought, word, and action toward God and man. We believe in the forgiveness of sin, resurrection power, and life overflowing and everlasting. Amen. Amen. And you can have a seat. Here we go. So, where we have been this year, so far we've been looking kind of week by week through this Apostles' Creed, and so we started off with this idea that God is the creator of all, and if God is the creator and author of all, the implication of that is that he has a plan. He's got a purpose and a plan for my life and your life. And then we looked at the reality of sin, that what sin meant for us is humanity, and this is what we know, is that death came through sin. And it's easy for us to read scripture and go, yeah, death came through Adam's sin and blame it on Adam. But the problem is not just that Adam sinned. The problem is that we sin. So death came through my sin, but life came through his love. And last week, we saw this beautiful picture that Jesus is our sacrifice and our priest. And what we found in that is that Jesus paid the debt of sin once and for all. And he made things right. Now here's where it's easy for us to quit. I think it's easy for us in a simple gospel or even approaching a simple gospel, it's easy for us to simply stop at Jesus paid the debt of my sin once and for all. He made things right. Done. But that would be a half gospel. That would be good news. I mean, it would, be, it would be partially good news. It'd be good news that he canceled the debt of our sin. But maybe the problem that we struggle with, and maybe this is you here today, maybe you've spent your whole life in church, and you're kind of going, well, Rob, isn't that it? That's what Jesus did. He paid the debt of my sin once and for all. He made things right, finished. And so I want to let you know there's more. There's more today for you. So many of us, we walk through our faith in Jesus and we kind of go, Jesus paid the debt of my sin. Now what? Maybe this is just my experience, but something tells me I'm not that special and I'm not that unique. I spent a long time as a child growing up in church, and I, and I heard about this gospel, and I heard about what Jesus came to do, and I believed at a very, very early age that Jesus came to pay the debt of my sin, that Jesus came to cancel the debt of my sin. But the problem is, is when you're a teenager and you're walking around going, yeah, Jesus paid the debt of my sin, if you don't have any more to it than that, if you don't have anything else, then that doesn't really help you out a whole lot. Because what it meant is I was, I was walking through my life and I was struggling with things and I was struggling with typical teenager stuff and I'm walking through my life going, well, at least the debt of my sin has been paid, but I sure would love some help living today. 
I sure would love some help moving through life and trying to figure out what comes next and what's the next step here and how do I wrestle with this and, and what do I do in this circumstance or this situation? Yes, it's great, it's wonderful that Jesus paid the debt of my sin, but now what? What do I do from here? I have the opportunity on, on Monday nights occasionally, both Jake and I, Pastor Jake and I, we have the opportunity to be a part of Celebrate Recovery at Life Church on Monday nights, a phenomenal ministry, a ministry that helps people get past hurts and habits and hang-ups. And so it's a lot of people who are coming out of recovery from addiction. And so one of the things that we see a lot at Celebrate Recovery is, is people who, are, who, are, who have had a really dark past, people who have really gone through some rough experiences, and they love this good news. They hear this good news that Jesus paid the debt of their sin. But if that's all Jesus gives them, there's not a whole lot of hope for tomorrow. Because canceling the debt of sin is great, but we're still going to live and we still need help and we still need equipping and empowering. And that's why I'm so glad that today in part four of We Believe, we are focusing on the Spirit. We are focusing on the Holy Spirit of God. Now let me just say up front, for the, for the diehard Baptists in the room, there's a tendency to get a little uncomfortable when we talk about the Spirit. And for our Bapticostals in the room, you're secretly going, yes, about time. And so here's what I want to let you know. The Spirit is part of our triune God. The Spirit is part of our triune God. And the Spirit, the Spirit provides something that is unique and specific. And if we leave out the Spirit when we talk about what God has come to do in our life, then we leave out our hope for tomorrow. And so I want us to understand that when we worship triune God, we worship all. That's why we, we focused first week in talking about God the Father and what God the Father has done. And last week, looking at what Christ the Son has done, today we are looking at what the Holy Spirit has come to do in our lives. And so I have to step back and I, and I have to let you in to, to my personal story. I grew up in church. I, was, I had a drug problem when I was a kid, which meant I got drugged to church three times a week. And, um, and I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that. But there was no part of my life that looked like someone who was following Jesus. There was no part of my life that looked like someone who was trusting Jesus. And, and I think the reason was because I believed in this Jesus. I believed that Jesus came to cancel the debt of my sin. But the problem was my understanding of Jesus was that Jesus paid for my sin. But every time I sinned, I had to go back to him to have that sin paid for all over again. And so at a certain point, you go, man, I can't be perfect. So it's not that I stopped believing in this Jesus. I just went, I can't live up to this. So as a 15 or 16 year old, I'm done trying. So for the next six years of my life, I made all sorts of decisions that are unbelievable, regrettable. I, I developed habits and addictions that were unbelievably regrettable. And I found myself as a junior in college at the University of Central Florida. I was 21 years old. 
And I was living with roommates that I knew from church. And so on Monday nights in our apartment, we would have some friends over who were from the apartment across the way from ours, and these eight guys would get together and we'd have a Bible study on Monday nights. And I remember going through the book of Romans together in the spring semester of 2002. And as we were walking through the book of Romans together, I was deep in the middle of struggling with a lot of sin, and there was a lot of things that were going on in my life. And I was doing, I think, what a lot of people who are raised in church do, which is you put on a really good face. Like, you've got your church friends, and you're like, yeah, things are going great. You know, I'm struggling here and there, but you know, God's really getting me through. Meanwhile, every time I got away from them, I was running as far into my depravity as I could. And I'll never forget the Monday night that we opened up Romans chapter 7, and I read these words. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And I read these words that Paul writes in the seventh chapter of Romans. And I went, he gets it! It was like holding a mirror up to my life and going, I know you want to be good. I know you want to do the right things. But here's your life. You keep doing the stuff you hate and the stuff that you want to do. You want to do this. You want to please God. You want to do all these things. But no matter how hard you try, you keep failing at it. Tell me I'm not alone in that experience. This, this is why it's so important that we don't leave the Holy Spirit out when we talk about what it means to believe in a simple gospel. Because if we leave the Holy Spirit out, you and I are stuck here. We're stuck in this place of going, Jesus came to pay the debt of all my sin, and I would really love to start living in a way that honors him. I'd really love to start doing all the right things, and I'm trying really hard, and I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm in all the right 12-step groups, and I'm all the, you know, I have all these accountability partners, and I've got all the filters on my phone, and you're doing all these things, and you're going, here, I've built a life that should direct me in the way of pleasing God, but no matter how hard I try, I keep Failing. Can we just be honest? There's so many of us that this is the version of Christianity we were given. And so it's not that we ever stopped believing in Jesus, but of it. Eventually we just gave up. Because that seemed so painful. To keep trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and failing and failing. In February of 2002, in that spring semester, after reading these words in Romans chapter 7, I had a really honest conversation with my roommates and the guys who lived in the apartment across from mine, and I began just to tell them about all of the stuff going on in my life, all the stuff I was hiding, all the stuff that I was secretly doing. I just started to kind of bring it all out, not, not with any mind towards confession or, or any kind of healing, just going... Guys, I get how Paul feels. 
Paul's describing my life. Here's, here's all the stuff, and I hate all the stuff, and I keep going back to it. That was a long and painful week, but I will never forget the next Monday night in that apartment in Orlando, Florida, with seven other guys opening up the first words of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, what I had missed about this faith, what I had missed about believing in this simple gospel is I had a belief in God the Father, in Christ the Son, but until I understood what it meant to believe in the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has come to do in my life, I was stuck in these endless patterns of trying and failing and trying and failing and becoming more and more discouraged. But what I realized is that the Spirit has come to set us free from all the trying and failing over and over again because by the Spirit I am no longer bound to the spirit of law of sin and death. Now it's just relying on the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit going, hey, 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 I know you can't do it. I know you can't do it. But I can. But I can. I know you try and you try and you fail, but guess what? Guess what? I've never failed. And the Spirit's saying, hey, come on. Come on, there's a different way. Time to be set free. And so this has become one of my favorite pieces of Scripture. This is maybe my favorite chapter of the Bible, but my favorite verse in this chapter of the Bible is Romans 8.11, and I just need us to hear this together. If the Spirit, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, when Jesus died, he paid the debt of our sin, but the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the grave. And when the Holy Spirit raised Jesus, Jesus from the grave, the Holy Spirit made it possible not just for your debt to be paid, but for you to live resurrection power. See, we're not just stuck at people who have had our kind of moral bank accounts brought back to zero. We are people whose debt has been paid, and then the Spirit of God has given us wealth and treasure we cannot possibly fathom. Because what the Spirit has done is the Spirit has said, hey, God is not distant anymore. God is not a distant God who's relying on you to get the rules and regulations right in order to have relationship. God has decided his new home is in you. So here's what we have to understand. 
Jesus paid the debt of our sin. Jesus paid the debt of our sin. That's what he came to do. But the Spirit breathes resurrection life. Jesus paid the debt of our sin. The Spirit breathes into us new life. So here's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is the one who's breathing new life into us. And what does a new life in the Spirit look like? Well, a new life in the Spirit looks like people who know who they are. Later on in Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to say, hey, it's the Spirit within you, the Spirit of God within you that's crying out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit within you that's saying, hey, we are not slaves, we are children of the living God, we are co-heirs with Christ The Spirit of God takes up residence in your life and says, you are no longer a slave and a sinner. You are now a prince or princess in the house of God. You've got a brand new identity in the Spirit. And here's the thing that I know to be true, and I, I didn't know this until about nine years ago. My wife and I got married about... 13 and a half years ago, and I love my wife, and I'm grateful for her. But there's a different kind of love you have for your wife, for your spouse, than you have for your children. Meg and I, Meg and I brought Aubrey home from the hospital, our firstborn. She was born prematurely, so we were in the hospital a little longer than expected, and so there was already some drama built in to Aubrey's life. But we brought Aubrey home from the hospital, and Meg is a first-time mother, and so there was no way she was letting this child out of her sight. Well, and and, and understandably so, because like for the first three days of Aubrey's life, Aubrey was on oxygen in another room, so she didn't even have that experience of a mom who's got the newborn baby with her. Newborn was off in another room, so Meg was just going, I'm not letting this baby go. But she was also reaching that place, and and Meg, I say this lovingly, she was also reaching that place that sometimes we, we can all get to. This is not a women or men thing. We can all get to this place. She had gotten to this place where she was so tired and so exhausted that I was going, she's... She's not sane anymore. And, and so I'm a brand new dad, and Aubrey's about a week old at this point, maybe a little older. And I, and I kind of said to Meg, I said, look, why don't you take a shower and get dressed and just get out of the house for an hour? Like, go do something for you. Go, go do something just for you. Go do something where you don't feel like the world is resting on your shoulders. I'm, I'm, I'm her dad. I can take care of her too. And so Meg got dressed, got a shower, left the house. And what they don't tell you when you're getting ready to have a kid, especially if your first kid's going to be a daughter, is everyone in your life is going to give you a bunch of really beautiful newborn clothes, but... Newborn clothes, especially really decorative newborn clothes, you don't really have excuses to put those on. So then you feel like the person who's been given a gift and you feel bad if you haven't put your child in the gift that someone gave you. 
So eventually you're like, all right, they're not going to be able to fit in this anymore. Let's just take a bunch of pictures in all these different outfits. So my, my parents, and my, look, my, my parents aren't Catholic, but they, they seemingly got my daughter like a christening dress, like this beautiful white dress. And I was like, all right, so what we're going to do is I'm going to be the dad who takes his newborn daughter on a daddy-daughter date. And so I put the beautiful dress on her. I got her all ready to go. And then I was like, well, she looks good. I better get ready. So I, you know, I, I put my nicest pair of jeans on, and some nice dress shoes, and I had this like white button-down dress shirt. And we were kind of like matching. And I was like, we, we are looking great. This is going to be a wonderful time together. And so I'm walking out of Aubrey's room, and we're walking down the stairs in our house. And I felt it. And if you're a parent, you know what I mean. Like, there's that moment where a child has seemingly emptied their entire body weight into a diaper. And Aubrey just looked up at me and, like, kind of cracked this, like, look of, like, oh, yeah. And, and here's... Here's what they don't tell you when you're going to like childbirth classes and stuff like that, all the preparation stuff they do for you when you're going to be a new parent. They don't tell you that a newborn can, can explosively fill a diaper and, and like things up the back. And, and so now this brand new white dress we have on has, you know, it's just, it's all seeping through and I'm holding her, which means it's all seeping through into my clothes, and as delicately as I can describe it, I was covered in it. Now, so many of us, so many of us have walked through our faith relationship to God. And even if we intellectually are able to understand this idea that God is our Father, what we act like is we act like he's an adopted father. We, we act like he's a stepfather. We act like he's a father who doesn't really want us, and so we better be on our very best behavior so he doesn't abandon us. And we carry around this insecurity because on some deep level, we think that God loves us, but maybe he doesn't really like us. He, he loves you, but he really wishes you were better. And I had carried around that weight for so long in my relationship to God. I think even into my 20s, I think I still carried this weight that, yes, Christ has come and the Spirit is here, but God doesn't really love me, or God loves me, but he doesn't like me that much, or God really wishes I was better. And then I was there on the stairs, holding my newborn child, covered in mess. 
covered in mess that was not mine. And there was not a single millisecond in that experience that changed how I felt about my daughter. And there hasn't been a moment since, as my daughter has gotten older and thankfully doesn't do stuff like that anymore, there hasn't been a moment since where my heart towards my daughter has changed. If anything, and parents, you understand this, if anything, my heart towards her has grown. My love for her, my affection for her has grown. And what I want to help you understand is I am a flawed and sinful father and you are flawed and sinful parents. What makes us think that the perfect God loves us less and we love our children. And so here's why the Spirit is so important. Because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of sonship, of daughtership. It's the Spirit of being a child of God that takes up residence in your heart. It's the Spirit that says, that's my daddy. And my daddy loves me. We don't ever have to be insecure about the love of God. We don't ever have to be insecure about the Father's love because this is how Paul closes Romans chapter 8, an entire chapter of the book that is all about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has come to do in our lives This is what Paul says about the Holy Spirit here at the end of Romans chapter 8. Sorry, I'm going to go back a slide. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit breathes that resurrection life, and as the Spirit breathes that resurrection life, that Spirit breathes identity into us. And when we are secure in our identity, we know that nothing in all creation will ever separate us from the love of God. There's that old game that people used to play in Philosophy 101, if you were lucky enough to take one of those classes in college. Could God ever make a rock so big even he couldn't lift it? It's kind of a silly question. And I don't know the answer to that, but here's what I will tell you. There's nothing in all of creation. There's nothing that has ever been made. There's nothing that has ever been made that's capable of separating you from the love of God. There's nothing that's ever been made that's capable of separating you from the love of God. And when the Spirit breathes resurrection life into you, the Spirit breathes assurance. The Spirit breathes assurance 
of our identity in our standing in Christ. The Holy Spirit is breathing life, and when the Holy Spirit breathes life, the Holy Spirit is assuring you that you are a son or daughter of the King, and there is nothing that will ever separate you. So here's the good news. The good news is that we had made a mess. We were covered in it. And Jesus came to pay the debt of our mess. But the Spirit comes and breathes life. The Spirit comes and breathes a sense of identity and assurance. And the Spirit says, hey, the mess has not changed your standing. Here's the best way I know to put this. Jesus made things right. The Spirit makes us righteous. Jesus came to make things right. The Holy Spirit came so that you have a righteous standing before God. And so, if we are going to place our hope and faith and trust in a simple gospel, if we are going to announce and declare in 2020 a simple gospel that unites, we need to be abundantly clear. We are not going to leave out the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit of God equips us, the Holy Spirit of God empowers us, but the Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives to breathe resurrection power that you and I might know without a doubt who we are and whose we are. You are beloved children of God. You are beloved children of God and the Holy Spirit of God is present here right now in the heart of every single believer breathing life The Holy Spirit is present right now in the heart of every single believer, announcing and declaring that you are children of God, announcing and declaring that not only has Jesus come to make you right, to make things right, but the Spirit has come so that you might stand up in a brand new life, recognizing your righteousness. When we believe in the Spirit, when we believe in what the Spirit has come to do, you and I get set free from self-righteousness. We get set free from our judgmentalness because our righteousness doesn't come from our behavior. Our righteousness comes from the Spirit of the living God.